Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2016. This is Gay talking about Step 2. Hi everyone, my name's Gay, I'm an alcoholic. Hi Gay. And uh, grateful to be asked to share at the Steps Weekend. Um, my sobriety date is the 6th of July 1996. So I'm nearly 20. I've actually been saying I'm nearly 20 for quite a lot longer than you might imagine. Um, and, uh, yeah, my home group's uh, Happy Des- Turak Happy Destiny on a Wednesday night, so everyone welcome. Um, I, uh, you know, I got to Alcoholics Anonymous in the UK in, uh, in July of 96. I went to a party and uh, I had which was quite normal for me, thought a lot about how I wasn't going to drink before I got to the party. I'm definitely not going to drink. It was a daytime party um, and I definitely couldn't drink during the day because it was always a disaster and whatever I had planned for the evening was never going to happen once I started in the day. I definitely wasn't going to drink. I definitely wasn't going to drink and I turned up to the party and I absolutely was not going to drink at this party and someone walked past me with a tray and I picked up a glass of red wine and I drank and that was it for me I was off and uh, I got absolutely smashed that night um, and I drank everything that was inside smoked some joints you know the usual whatever was going I was into it and uh, I passed out at the party and I woke up the next morning And I had alcoholic poisoning. It was really my first case of alcoholic poisoning, like, the following day. And I was really, really sick, and I was throwing up, and uh, I had all these bruises on my shin because I was kind of, you know, bumping into the loo to get to it, and I was just... I mean, it was just a mess. And I got home, and I was with my um, uh, boyfriend at the time, and uh, I sat at the kitchen table. I had this old pink towel in front of me and it was kind of like draped in my hands because I thought I was going to be sick and I'd asked him to get me some spaghetti hoops you know those spaghetti o's that you get in the can because I thought they'd be soft squidgy they'll stay in my stomach and I'd tried eating cheesecake that didn't work and so he got me some spaghetti o's and I ate them and I threw them up so violently that they shot out of my nose at about 100 miles an hour and so I'm sitting there with spaghetti hoops coming out of my nose into this dirty pink towel and, uh, and I was done. I just knew I was done. I, 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 could, I just knew I couldn't. I had spent the last, well, close to five years, but definitely the last two years of my drinking trying to do two things. And one was not drink when I didn't want to drink because it didn't seem to matter whether I felt like a drink or whether I really um, desperately didn't want to drink. Uh, I would pick up a drink if there was a drink around. I, def- I was not a daily drinker. In the last two years of my drinking, I was definitely just a binge drinker. But um, the main thing I was trying to do was drink without getting drunk. So I would have, like, I would go out, I would tell myself I'm only going to have a couple, whatever I was going to do to only have a couple, and I would get drunk. So that last two years I was trying not to drink when I didn't want to drink, and I was trying not to get drunk, and I couldn't do either of those two things, and I was absolutely baffled. Like, I could not figure this... I couldn't figure it out. And no amount of, like, thinking about the problem was making it any different. But something else happened at that party and that was, you know, we were, we were lodging at the time in the UK with this woman who had a massive house, 
but she didn't really go into any of her house, which was really quite dirty. Um, she just sat in her room with her dog and she drank vodka. And um, I could see that she was an alcoholic and she was shabby and I looked down upon her from up high. And um, she was also at this party, it was quite a posh party, and uh, the only real thing I remember about that evening after the first couple of drinks was that she had tripped up some stairs, she'd fallen flat on her face, her dress had kind of lifted up and she was in her 50s or, you know, like really old as far as I was concerned at the time. <laughs> Not so old now. And, um, and her dress had lifted up and landed on the back of her head. She had massive ugly undies on. And I thought, that is my future. And, um, and that was the other thing I was really frightened of. I was not frightened, particularly because I, I, I was drinking so little in that last two years. I was absolutely miserable. I was far more unhappy drinking less than I was when I was drinking more. And, um, and I had this idea that I was going to live a long, miserable and undignified life. And that's what I could see she was doing, really. Um, so the next day I rang Alcoholics Anonymous and I got into the rooms and I kicked around AA for about 60 days going to meetings and I was like, I was at 60 days sober, I was so unhappy. I'd never been that. I wanted to tear myself out of my own skin and, um, you know, I could not. There was no relief in sight because for me the drink, particularly when I was drinking like irregularly, it was like I was breathing in, breathing in, breathing in, breathing in, and then I would drink and I would breathe out. And, like, for me, I had been breathing in for 60 days and I couldn't do it any longer. And um, I got on my knees in my bathroom and I put my feet up against the door in case my boyfriend walked in. I was happy to spew. I was happy to be drunk and slurring. <laughs> God forbid he should see me pray. And... Um, and I got, got on my knees and I kind of did the whole, you know, like, schoolgirl thing. And um, I said, I- I'll do anything. I can't stand it any longer. I cannot stand to feel this way. And that, that was me sober. And that's why I drink, essentially, because, you know, I, I can't live comfortably in the world sober. So I got to a meeting I hadn't ever been to before by a weird set of circumstances that night. And there was a woman who was speaking. She was Scottish. I couldn't understand anything she said. And um, she talked about uh, there is a solution in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I felt like I'd never heard this before, ever. And I went up to her friend after the meeting um, because she was, apart from the fact that I couldn't understand the Glaswegian, she was also attractive and I felt I needed an attractive sponsor. Um, and I went up to this woman and I said to her, you know, I want to talk, can I, I need a sponsor. And she said, oh, no, I'm just going through the steps at the moment with her, you need to ask her. So I thought that'd be right. And um, I went up to this Scottish woman and I said to her, you know, I I, I need help. Will you sponsor me? And she said, are you willing to go to any length? And I said, yes. And then she said something, I can't remember what it was, and I thought, I'm not doing that. Um, And uh, she said to me, okay, uh, you can come to my house, bring your big book, um, I'll see you on Tuesday at this time. I was like, oh, Jesus. And um, in the meantime, you need to get, um, you can come to my home group and, you know, you need to put your hand out to a newcomer at every meeting you go to. There's someone with less than 60 days who needs to know that you can get to 60 days and you need to call me and you need to 
get numbers from newcomers and call them. I was, like, exhausted at the list of things I had to do. Mind you, I didn't have a job. Um, and uh, so I went, uh, I, went to, uh, I went home that night. I had never actually driven in England until the night I drove to her place. I'd only been living there for four months. I'd gone there to get away from the people who made me drink. And, um, and uh, I got in the car and I drove 45 minutes to her house in the dark in a country I'd never driven in before and uh, uh, I, I got there with my book and I had no idea what was going to happen, like I nothing. And we sat there and we opened the big book at the preface. She goes, okay, we're, right, we're starting at the beginning and we opened at the preface and I thought, how is this going to help alcoholism? And I figured that she probably didn't understand what was wrong with me. Um, but I was really baffled and I was still kind of, you know, I'd had that ego deflation at depth that had got me to my knees. And, and you know, while I find those, those times of ego deflation tend not to last unless I take action while I'm in them, um, you know, I, I, there was enough there. You know, I was desperate enough. And uh, she, started to she started to explain to me the fellowship and I got a sense of, you know, uh, I need alcoholics. You know, that alcoholics anonymous is big. Um, and I started to understand that I need alcoholics anonymous more than alcoholics anonymous needs me. And that the circle, when we hold hands at the end of the meeting, will close whether I'm in it or not. And uh, that was important for me because I, I started to get the sense that I wasn't doing you a massive favour by attending, which was my attitude prior to the point where I got on my knees. You know, clearly you needed to be enlightened. I'd read a lot of inspirational books. Um, I really understood my parents' um, responsibility in the fact that I was a total alcoholic and they didn't treat me properly and, uh, you know... I was very, very helpful. And um, so I started to understand that and uh, she then went on over the next couple of weeks to give me the most important information that I will ever receive, I think, and certainly that I've ever received in my life to, to this date and that is the nature of my illness. And, you know, we went through the doctor's opinion and I identified, you know, the doctor's opinion explained to me why when I didn't want to get drunk, I got drunk. And why those very few times... You know, at the start of um, We Agnostics in Step 2, it talks about, um, you know, if you have little control over once you take, once you start to drink. And that explained to me why I had little control. Because I, I hung on to the days where there was a bit of control, where, you know, those distant memories of the past, which... And, and, you know, some that weren't so distant where I had hung on for dear life um, and got home with only a few drinks, where I'd got home not absolutely smashed, which I thought made me not an alcoholic. And um, so, you know, I understood, I, I understood the physical nature when, when, as we went through the doctor's opinion and Bill's story. And I also understood um, that... Alcoholism, uh, you know, that she said to me, if you were a diabetic and 
you were trying to control your insulin levels with the power of your mind, that's about how successful you will be in trying to control how much you start to drink once you take a drink because it's, you know, you're physically different from normal people. And that, to me, blew me away and it really pissed me off because I had been trying so hard to control my drinking. Had I known I was going to fail every time, I might as well have just had a good time and got really fucking blind you know because that's what I would have done had I known this information so I was furious I felt like the last five years of my drinking had been a misery for no reason um I uh you know we uh, that was pretty that was pretty evident to me I didn't really have any arguments for that but it was it was an ego deflation and um but then she got to the really scary stuff which brings me kind of into step two and that is that um you know, I'm. I have. There's no amount of self-knowledge that is going to help me. There's no amount of thinking that is going to stop me from picking up a drink. There's no. You know, there is no gap between my thinking about a drink and taking a drink, or in fact, thinking about not drinking and taking a drink. And I started to understand that an obsession with not drinking is exactly the same as an obsession with drinking. It's just an obsession with drinking. Like, I couldn't stop thinking about not drinking. So, um, you know, I had this obsession of the mind, this obsession with um, alcohol that will lead me to pick up a drink. You know, it'll lead me to walk into a party where I'm not going to drink and my arm will reach out almost independently of what's going on in my brain. You know, those strange mental blank spots that are described so beautifully in um, More About Alcoholism. And oh, actually, there is a solution. And, you know, the other thing she talked to me about was that line in, um, you know, that she helped me understand was the line in More About Alcoholism that um, the great obsession of every abnormal drinker is to control and enjoy his drinking. And um, I could control my drinking and there were times where I could enjoy my drinking, but I could never do those two things together. I could never control and enjoy my drinking because if I was enjoying my drinking, I was like off the edge. And, um, you know, and I started to understand that, uh, you know, my problem centres in my mind and that I'm not of sound mind. And I really understood this. I was was really lucky. I didn't realise quite how lucky I was at that time. But um, Joe and Charlie had come to Bristol in 1997 and our group got a busload of people and we all went to Bristol and we went to a Joe and Charlie big book study. And I really started to understand if everyone, if you know, if you don't have the app on your phone, I recommend you get the app. But Joe and Charlie are fantastic at explaining, explaining this book. Um, you know, our text, and um, you know, and I went to this big book study, and I got a deeper understanding of um, probably like many people here. I got a deeper understanding of, you know, this problem that centres in my mind, this strange mental blank spot that will, you know. Every now and again I hear people say things like, oh, you haven't been... I I really haven't got to any meetings lately, but I don't feel like a drink. Like, when did I need to feel like a drink to drink? You know what I mean? Like, I didn't need to feel like a drink to drink. I would just drink. I would have that thought and I was off. And so, um, you know, I got to this place of needing to come to believe. And... um, you know, if the problem centres in my mind, then I'm not going to be able to fix it with my mind. And uh, by this stage, I knew that. And I, but I didn't have, 
you know, I didn't have any belief in a power greater than myself, really. I mean, I'd had that experience that had got me to the meeting. But, you know, what I did believe was that she had an answer for me, this sponsor of mine. And um, she talked about the difference between belief and faith. And she said, you know, if... And Joe and Charlie talk about this as well. If, you, um, if I tell you my mechanic's really good and you go, oh, OK, no worries. Well, my car's, in, my car's broken down. I'll take it to your mechanic. And you go there on belief. And then you get your car fixed and your car's all great and you know the next time you go to that mechanic you're in a position of faith. I actually know that he's going to fix my car well. I believed you the first time, but now I know. And, um, and that's where I started off with her. I believed her. And I believed that a power greater than myself, which kind of manifested in her at that time, could restore me to sanity. And the book tells me that that's all that I need. I just need that. I just need to be willing to believe. And I was willing to believe. And what I love about um, the chapter We Agnostics was all the arguments I had against um, believing and against religion, it shut the door on them all. It just shut the door on them all. And it was also the first time I realised that the book was talking to me, um, was talking to me. Like, you know, she, she said, we got to the bit where it says, you know, um, do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity? And then she looked at me and waited for my answer. And I was like... Oh, you know, like I knew the book, I knew, I knew we were reading a text, I knew I was learning, I knew, but I hadn't really, I didn't get that I was like right in it until that moment. And I was, and I said, I, I'm willing to believe. And in fact, I did believe. And, and as I said, I believed that she was the manifestation of a power greater than myself because she had a solution, she had solved, the, she had solved her problem, she had solved her drink problem. And, um, and from there I had the much-needed power. Of, uh, you know, like a, a, a spiritual um, awakening comes as a result of 12 steps. You know, at step two, the issue was just was I willing to believe? And like step three, was I willing to take action? And, and at step two, I was willing to believe. I did feel like, I felt like we agnostics shut all those doors on me. I knew that I had lived... Um, for 60 days sober in Alcoholics Anonymous and for two years of very little drinking. And I knew that life was utterly miserable for me. I, You know, it talks about we were making heavy going of life, that a mere code of morals or, um, or a philosophy of life were not going to help us. And that explained to me why I knew I wanted to be better but there was no self-help book that was going to help me because lack of power was my dilemma. It always was my dilemma. I didn't understand it was my dilemma but that was my dilemma. And what happened was I was presented with a solution. You know, I was presented with a problem for everyone who was here last night. You know, we're, we're, you know when, when we understand the absolute utter hopelessness of Alcoholics Anonymous, of, of alcoholics, <laughs> not, not that would be troublesome, um, <laughs> but the utter hopelessness of, of alcoholism, then... Um, and then I'm kind of presented with this solution of step two. What else was I to do but to pick up the kit of spiritual tools that was laid at my feet? And, um, you know, and I wanted to... I, I, you know, I wanted to do my fourth step. I wanted, I wanted to do it. I, wanted, I wasn't too keen on making friends with people in here, but I wanted to do the program. And what happened was I got to do the program and I got to um, experience fellowship as well. And... Uh, 
you know, and, and experience um, that beautiful relationship that, that comes through that sponsorship um, relationship and then filters out to every other area of my life. You know, it was by revealing myself to her that I was able to reveal myself to you. Um, it was by re- revealing myself to her in, in that process and to God that I was able to come to a belief that a power greater than myself, not, you know, like it talks about could. Um, I ca- I've come to believe and I, you know, I haven't even come to believe. I know that God has restored me to sanity for the last 19 and whatever years, nearly 20 years. Nearly 20 years um, I have not even... The problem has been removed for me. And the promise I really wanted and the promise I got was the promise in step 10 was that we'd be in a place of neutrality, that we'd be neither cocky nor afraid and that um, we, the problem would be removed. And that happened. I haven't thought about not drinking since I, I, was, I became willing to, to believe and became willing to take the necessary steps. And to not think about drinking or not drinking is the greatest gift. It's just, you know, it, can, it, it gives me that sufficient relief to live in the world with you, to pay attention to you, to see the beautiful gifts that God's given me in this life and given all of us and, um, and to have a really meaningful, happy and useful um, life of practising the fifth tradition, my primary purpose to help other alcoholics, and doing that through the 12th step. So, um, you know, I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful for this um, fifth tradition and 12th step that uh, that the committee has, has put on for you guys and, and for me this weekend, and um, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for listening. <laughs>